Everyone at home, how are you? You can't wave at them. You could wave your hands in the air. Maybe we can, they can see us. Hey, I uh, just want to say uh, hi to everybody watching online. Kia ora, welcome. And uh, hi everybody here as well. Here we are again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it could be worse, I suppose. So, um, hey, I just wanted to, before we kick anything else off, I just wanted to say that different people respond differently in different situations. So if you are feeling a bit anxious going into level two and, you know, if something else, if it goes any further, it could potentially be level three and perhaps further. Um, but if that is, if you're feeling a sense of anxiety, depression, or if you're just really worried about that, we would love to pray for you. We would love to walk with you uh, through this time. If there's anything that you need, uh, please come and see us. We're here for you, uh, both online and in person. So we just want to say that we're here for you guys. Um, and we'll walk through it together, whatever happens. Hey, Look under your chairs. You should find the study guide for uh, Philippians. Uh, if you have a pen, uh, use it. If you don't have a pen, I think Nikki has a couple of spears. Wave your hands in the air if you don't have a pen and you need one. Great. So we'll just work through that guide as we go through the sermon. Don't have to answer all the questions as you move far ahead. Uh, just, just work with us on this one. So... Philippians. Who read Philippians this week? Cool. No more pens. Okay, you're just going to have to get out your quill. <laughs> hey, so we did this last year. We did James last year. We'll do another one this year. But we do this, uh, try to do, we tried to do it a couple of times last year, but, you know, COVID. Um, and we do this sort of walkthrough for several weeks of uh, a shortish book. And what we're going to do is we've got three weeks to do four chapters in Philippians. And uh, it's going to be a, uh, a great couple of weeks. For those um, at home, um, members of the church, if you go on our members page, I've just posted up um, a PDF of uh, the study book. So if you want, you can print it or you can write on it on your phone, save it as an image. But let's kick things off. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Well, I thank you for worship this morning. Gosh, Lord, we just thank you for your presence in this space. Uh, Lord, we, we pray that uh, people would come to your presence everywhere they are right now, at home, at friends' places. Father, we thank you. And, and Lord, we just pray that you go ahead of us as we uh, jump into your word this morning. Lord, we give you glory and honor, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So, Philippians. Uh, let's kick things off. Um, a couple of Philippian facts for you. Um, Philippians. Whoa, here we go. That would have been fun. Uh, Philippians uh, is known as one of the four prison letters. So we know for sure that there were at least four um, epistles, uh, Pauline letters, that were written in, the, uh, in prison, and this is one of them. Chronologically, it's the 10th of Paul's 13 books. Uh, Philippi was a Roman colony in ancient Macedonia. And the church at Philippi was the first congregation that Paul started in continental Europe. Uh, there is more uh, comments about joy and rejoicing in Philippians than there is in all of his other writings combined. So uh, joy, rejoicing, that sort of stuff, it's all up in uh, Philippians. Uh, a couple of facts about Paul, just to take people on the journey just really quickly. Um, 
Uh, Paul, a lot of people know who Paul is, but I'm not going to assume that everybody does. Uh, Formerly known as Saul, um, he uh, had a job where he basically hunted after the Christians. He was present for Stephen's um, stoning. He uh, chased after uh, Christians, but he had a conversion experience on the road to Damascus and uh, met Jesus and became one of the most phenomenal Christians, certainly of that era and probably, I would argue, <laughs> uh, of our time. Uh, and he's done a lot for the gospel. Uh, Paul was under house arrest for two years. Um, he likely was writing this in either Rome or Ephesus. Uh, this letter is a gift of thanks to um, Epaphroditus. And one of the things about prison and when he's in home arrest is they've basically got guards uh, he spent time in a normal prison as well, but in home arrest, basically they just had guards and that was it. You weren't looked after. If you didn't have friends to come and look after you and tend and bring you food and clothes and stuff like that, you just starved. They weren't that worried about it. So this letter is in response to that guy coming and bringing some goods to Paul, his name is um, Ephroditus, and he comes from the church in Philippi and gives a huge amount of uh, resources, finance, food, and clothing to Paul, not only for himself, but also for his ministry. And so um, he's been looked after by the church in Philippi, the church that he had planted 11 years previously. Um, So that's a couple of facts, but let's kick things off. Um, Right there, you can see up the top, uh, in modern-day Greece, that's where Philippi is, um, and it was obviously a colony, and so a long way from Jerusalem, but he went there three times in uh, in his uh, missionary focus to the Gentiles. So the thing about um, Philippians is it's a little bit different. It's a bit different to some of the other, well, in fact, all of uh, Paul's writings. Um, It's different for a couple of reasons. It's a little bit shorter. But it's, it's kind of written differently. Normally, Paul would tackle uh, heresies or bigger issues or theological statements. But what Paul does is he's anchored the whole four chapters of Philippians around one thing. And we find it in uh, Philippians 2 verse 6. And what it is, is essentially it's a poem. It's called the Messianic Prophecy or the Messianic Poem, sorry. Um, and uh, 2 verse 6 to 11. And that is kind of the core theme. And what he's done is he's written these little sermonettes around this theme, and it kind of all comes in from different angles. So today, we're going to be going through Philippians 1. It's kind of a welcome and an open. And then it goes uh, to him talking about his imprisonment, and then talks about following Jesus into chapter 2. And it continues this theme for a while. Um, And the the four chapters are all basically connecting with this great piece of uh, writing that we're going to tackle next week in Philippians 2. So it's all based around that. Normally, Paul is like, this is where I'm starting. I'm going to talk about this. Then there's this issue. I'm going to talk about this. But he weaves back and forth. But how many people know that in Philippians, there are a lot of really famous scriptures. There's a lot of really well not. You'll go, oh, I know that one. Oh, I know that one. Uh, and we've got one of those in today's message as well. First Corinthians. Uh, First Corinthians. Um, don't know why that was in my brain. Uh, James chapter one verse six. We'll get there. Um, James, sorry. 
Ah, it's been a really long week. I go on holiday on Tuesday. Yay! Yeah, my friend was going to Auckland, and now he's not. He has to go to Hamilton because uh, he's gone on holiday as well. And uh, he said, I had to buy tickets to Hamilton, to fly into Hamilton to go, you know, north. He said, it cost me $1,300. No one wants to spend $1,300 on going to Hamilton. I was like, I'm offended and I agree with you. That's fair enough. So Paul's letters uh, to, to the churches. If you have been around churches a little while, if you've, if you've heard about um, Paul's writings, if you, you could imagine if you were a first century Jewish church and Paul wrote you a letter, who would be a little bit nervous about opening that letter, right? Uh, he tended to be you know, a guy that didn't mince his words, and he was very firm. And you can see in just those three churches, uh, for example, uh, Corinth, Galatia, and um, Colossae, uh, Colossians rather, you can see that he really pulls those churches apart on their, on their faith, on their heresy. And you, that's fairly normal writings. Now he talks about good stuff and there's excellent theology in those writings and there's more than those three. But here with the Philippians, it's quite different. What we get is a letter of encouragement and hope. It is quite different. Um, and what we need to understand is here's Paul in prison, right? He's in prison because he's been declaring the gospel. Everybody knows why he's in there. He says that in Philippians. And he has this church that he planted 11 years ago. And he has this guy come and give him resources. He would have been, I'm sure he would have been hungry and so thankful to see, you know, clothes arrive and blankets and all that sort of stuff. And then he tells him all about the church. And he tells him that they're growing, they're doing well, there's a couple of little niggly issues, and Paul addresses those in chapter 4. But we've got to understand that he is excited and he is thankful. You know, can you imagine being in prison and one of you, someone comes to you and just brings you good news, tells you what's happening, uh, brings you food and water, and, and the encouragement in your spirit that you would get. And that's what we've got there. So this whole letter, we've got to understand through that mindset, the context that he's excited and that he's really, really hopeful for the future. So let's kick things off. So in uh, chapter one, why don't we read together uh, NIV if you've got it. Otherwise, you can read up at the front screen. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Here we go. One second. You could flick over that, but I said it was a, a letter that was quite different. Normally, uh, this is the only time Paul does this in any of his letters to the churches. What he does is he addresses it to you, the congregation, to the saints, to everybody, but he also addresses it to leadership, which he hasn't done and doesn't do in any other letters. And we're going to find out a little bit more why that is in chapter 4. But let's continue. Uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you are all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from, from, first until, uh, from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. A fairly well-known, famous piece of scripture, that one, one verse six. Do you get the impression there, you know, like Paul, I think, would be a relatively intimidating person. Wouldn't you agree if you can put yourself into that mindset? 
And here's Paul just saying, gushing, really, saying, you guys have done such a good job. You're like kids to me, and I'm so proud of what you've done. I really am, not just for the blankets, but I am proud of who you are, what you're doing, and the defense of the gospel, which he goes in further. recently talked about our five columns of Cornerstone, which are um, presence, uh, community, authenticity, relationship, and growing. It's really hard to have four up and one down. There we go, growing. And if you think of those four, those five cornerstone columns, and then you read that scripture again, can you see any present? Have a read of that again. I'll read it out to you. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise. Uh, I think I've gone ahead of myself, haven't I? Sorry. Verse 7, the, uh, verse seven and 8. It is right for me to feel this way about you, uh, for you are all partakers of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn to be with, with you all in prayer. So what do we see here? We see them connected to God. They, they understand the presence of God through Jesus. Are they connecting in a community? Absolutely. They're coming around their, their father of faith, if you will, and serving him and looking after him. And they are sounding like a tight-knit community. Are they authentic? A hundred percent, because we also hear some of the issues that come a little bit later on. Are they relational? Yes. And are they growing? Yes. Um, and I, and I, I just looked at those and I thought, oh man, I can see some cornerstone columns there. Verse 10, so that you may prove what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. What do you think that means? Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness. In your uh, little diaries, you could write that in. What do you think that means? Filled with the fruit of righteousness. You know, I would say that we are only righteous through Jesus. So if we're filled with the fruit of righteousness, we're filled with Jesus. Praying for, connecting with, reading about Jesus. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. You know, um, I've got there down the bottom of the page, um, the way in which we respond can be a roadmap for others. Has anyone ever seen that in their lives, that seen other people respond to things so well that you go, gosh, I could do that. I could do that better. I remember when I've, I've got a couple of eye stories this, uh, this Sunday, but I remember when I lost my vision, and I lost my vision in my eye, and I had only 27% in my left eye, and I was a bit of a sad sack. And my father-in-law had called a guy, that one of my old youth pastors, who he knew, who had the same condition. And he rang me up. This guy's name was Lyle. And he rang me, and he said, Hey, Drake, how you doing? I was like, oh, I'm okay. I'm trying to do my Eeyore voice. I'm all right. He's like, mate, you'll be fine. You'll be okay. He said, I've gone through the surgery. You're going to be all right. It's going to be cool. And I said, oh, You've only got one eye, though. And he's like, yeah. I was like, did they patch the other eye? And he's like, yeah, I had to do that for three weeks. And I was like, oh, so you were completely blind. And he was like, yeah, but it's all good. And then I was like, 
okay, thanks. And I came out of I came out of my bedroom to to Hannah. I was like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He, you know, he was a he was an encouragement to me. He was saying, you can do it, mate. And he, and I'm sitting there going, mate, you had to do it with no eyesight, with a patch over in your glass eye. And here I am complaining with only 27. percent I'm like, woo! I'm over 25, baby. I'm gonna do things. And I did. And I burnt myself and cut myself and fell over everything. But that's, that's besides the point. I gave it a go. So the way that we respond can often be a roadmap for others. And that's what Paul's saying. Hey, I did this and I've been responding and other people are, are knowing what's happening here. So one of the interesting things to ask yourself the question about is what would happen if in tough circumstances you, pray, you, you focused more on responding well than being rescued? Again, when I lost my eyesight, the first three weeks of my prayer was, God, give me vision. God, give me a healing. God, give me a miracle. God, I need you. I need you to rescue me from this circumstance. And I remember very clearly being in our lounge with all the curtains drawn and praying to God and feeling like the Holy Spirit said to me, Dre, you're going to learn a lot from this experience. Why don't you respond differently? And so from that moment, at least personally, I stopped always asking for rescue, but rather asking God to show me and mold me how to respond in that circumstance better. Because here he is in his circumstance, Paul, and he's responding, like, can anybody respond better than him in prison? He's like, it's fine, it's great. You know, people are learning about this and they're learning about that. Yeah, there's rats and it's cold, but it's okay. And I remember going, I am going to change the way that I respond in situations. So stuff goes down, I'm going to be the one that responds like Jesus. That's what I decided. I'm going to be the one that responds and and be as positive as I possibly could be. Did I have slip-ups? Did I have mistakes? Was I a grumpy sad sack on days? Yes. Like you as well. Maybe not you guys, just me. Verse 14, and most of all brothers, uh, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak out the word. So there we go. There's the part about um, the way we respond as a roadmap for others. Verse 15, some indeed, this is interesting, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. You know, when I, when I first read that, I think I was young and dumb enough to not believe that. I was very confused. I was like, why would people preach the gospel? Why would people do ministry? Why would people do faith for any other reason than to proclaim the gospel? And in a leadership point of view, I I looked at that and I'd go, no one would do that. But if you've been around a little while, you'll know that there's a lot of us, you know, in this thing called ministry. And I can imagine situations and places and times where it actually becomes about how you feel in a situation and how you are responded to and respected in a situation through uh, leadership. I am... Being a young minister, not so young anymore, but when I first sort of became a minister, a pastor, I was an assistant pastor first at another church and then came here. Um, And I'd go to like big pastor conferences and other bits and pieces, and it was great. 
But if I ever came across someone who was my age, roughly or younger, they'd always ask the same question. They'd ask this question. They'd go, oh, g'day, how's it going? Yeah, yeah, nice. Oh, where are you from? Where are you from? Cool. How big is your church? Now, that seems like a fairly innocent question. But what's actually been asked is, are you more important than me or am I more important than you? Now, is it bad to ask that question? No, but that if you're opening with that question, and I, I started to hear that, and I was just like, people would ask me that question. I'm like, yeah, we're growing well, thank you. <laughs> um, and then they'd go, oh, okay. <laughs> um, and I think we've all sort of seen people, right, that, that maybe do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Do you do the right thing sometimes for the wrong reason? Now, the wrong reason could be selfish ambition for that sort of thing, or it could be because you've always done it. I'm going to do the right thing because I've always done that thing. I actually don't think about why I do it anymore, and I don't even think it's right necessarily. I just do it. So there's a sense of motivation there that you've got to ask yourself that question. So what's the motivation? What is the motivation behind why you do what you do? Um, here's a question for you. Has anyone ever been like in a group of people, at, maybe at the workplace or even in ministry, maybe here at this church, you've been with someone, a group of people, and they go, uh, Fred, I'm going to get Fred to come up and do this. And then... Other people around, Philip and, and Matt and maybe Clive, you know, maybe might be sitting there going, oh, Fred, Fred's not that good. Oh, what about me? I've done that five times before. Fred's never done that before. <coughs> Sorry, picking on you three gentlemen. <laughs> Fred's like, I don't mind at all. <laughs> um, anyone ever felt that? I felt it in my heart, a little bit of envy, a little bit of um, selfish ambition rises up. So here's the question. Here's a good tool to slap that in the face. Ask yourself this question. How do you feel when someone else is given encouragement, promotion, and praise above you? What do you do with that? What is the motivation there? And I've, I've heard comments, you know, people say things like, oh, that person yeah, that person, everybody loves that person. They're not perfect. And I'm like, mate, you've forgotten. You're looking at it from selfish ambition. You've got envy in your heart. Your motivation's incorrect. They're just encouraging that person. It's not about a lack that they have. Sure, they have it. And it's not that you couldn't do that job. But people's motivation is, is incorrect. Um, one of our um, Acts Church pastors, uh, his name is Peter Prothero, and he has this great comment. He's in London. He says, acknowledge the motivation, repent, then respond on the opposite spirit or in the opposite spirit. So I'll say that again if you want to write that down. Acknowledge the motivation of that thought, repent from it, ask God to, to speak to your heart, then respond in the opposite spirit. So do something against that. Do something different to that. I'll give you an example. Um, a few months ago, um, oh gosh, probably six months ago, Arise came to, Corner, uh, came to Cornerstone. Woo! Came to Rolleston. Arise Church came to Rolleston. Now, 
I can with pretty solid integrity say maybe there was a fleeting moment, maybe, that I went, oh, another Pentecostal church, okay. And it, it, that probably went, far, went away pretty quickly, but... I do know that churches forget. And I spoke to other churches and heard some of their comments. And I was like, oh, man, I, I want to respond differently to that. So I went and took the pastor out. Now, I'm not perfect because I just admitted that perhaps for a moment I went, oh, man, this is going to be, how does that impact me? What does that mean for me? All of that stuff. Repented of it. Be honest about it. And so then I said to him, hey, would you like to do a coffee and catch up? And so he admitted to me afterwards when we sat down. He thought he was going to get the, so why do you think you need to be here? Well, that was very gangster of me, wasn't it? <laughs> Why do you think you need to be here? And I was like, mate, I want to encourage you guys. Uh, Rolleston needs you. Rolleston needs another church. And we were like, there's 20,000 people here. You know, we, we need to just bless them. And just, well, I was encouraging him so much so um, that, you know what we also did? I went and talked to our elders and they were 100% on board. We went and gave them a financial gift and just said, bless you guys. Go out and do your thing. Did they need the money? No. But we just said, we are for you, we are with you, we're going to operate in the opposite spirit to envy or anything like that. We're going to say, go for it. You're our brothers in Christ. Go and win some people for Jesus and have fun doing it. We bless you and welcome to our community. Respond in the opposite spirit. So ask yourself your motivation. What is my motivation? Verse 18, Paul continuing. What then? Only in every way, whether it pre uh, pretense or in truth, that Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Interesting, Paul. And I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance. So Paul is saying some people preach the gospel out of an incorrect place, an incorrect thinking. And then he goes on to say, but the gospel is preached. And so I will rejoice. And I'm like, well, that's big of you. That's really awesome. Especially when it was a personal attack. You know, um, in Hebrews 11, where is it? Hebrews 4, thank you. Is there an 11 somewhere in there? No, okay. 4.12. Uh, it talks about how God's word is like a sword. It is the sword. It is the word of God. And I think I've done a little picture for you, and if you're that sort of kinesthetic learner, you could finish drawing in the sword and write the little words, the letters in if you want to. But here's the thing. The Word of God is a powerful weapon. And it can be used only, it can be used for good. And so if someone's motivation to pick it up is still incorrect, it doesn't really matter. God is bigger than that. How many people love, like for those young people who want to be, you know, Maybe you're worried, but you'd like to like be speaking. Maybe you'd like to be in a worship team or a, running a connect group. I want to tell you this. When you look at this, whether your motivation is from a sinful place or even just a place of naivety, God always works through. God always finds a way through. And he says it doesn't matter. You know, they can do that and they might have the wrong motivation. But I will rejoice because the gospel is being preached. And so sometimes we're very afraid of the mistakes we might make. But I would say that Paul would say, hey, let, let's go and make those mistakes. You know, sure, if we're going to make them, let's learn from them. Let's have some humility. But don't be hemmed in by those mistakes, by fear. Verse 20, 
as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. I think you've got a little section there. Um, what are some ways that you can honor God with your body? Should I give you a freebie? Your words, your mouth. What are some other ways? Let's write them down. Your feet. You could honor God with your thoughts, with your brain, with your actions, perhaps. You know, there's a lot of problems in the world. And I think too often, and we get this from Paul when he writes this letter, we focus on our big problems. Who here has kind of a biggish problem in their life right now? I'm going to put my hand up. Just me. Great. Thanks. You're all sitting there like, oh, I wonder what that's about. Mm. Who has had a big problem in their life? Liars, some of you who's got your hands down. No, I'm joking. Here's the thing. So often we think and we focus on our big problems, we forget that we serve a big God. And so Paul, all through this letter, is like, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. We serve a big God. And he'll go on further to say, it doesn't matter if I die, I'll be with Jesus. It doesn't matter if I'm here because I get to serve Jesus. Big problems, big God. Don't focus on the wrong thing. Don't focus on the problems. Focus on God. Focus on God. Now, like I said, when I was blind and I was praying and I was, you know, falling over the treadmill and all sorts of things. That's a funny story. I'll tell you one day. <clears throat> I, I struggled. Where was I going with my point? I was thinking about the treadmill. It was a hilarious story. Ah, but it was, it was a big problem, but I started changing my focus. And started changing my focus onto how big my God is. And uh, it was so beneficial for me to just change my focus and go, I'm not going to focus about the problem. The problem is there, but God, through me, is going to solve it in some way. And He always does. So, too often we focus on the problem, not on our big God. Verse 21. And here's a bit of a key scripture to this theme. I think there's three themes uh, through chapter 1. And this is probably the big one it, it hangs on. He says this, verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ, to be living for Jesus Christ, and to die is gain. Another famous piece of scripture. For me to live, I'm going to live 100% for Jesus. But even if I die, 100% gain. I will be with Jesus, and I will be stoked. And what do I get? What's the big thing there? Four letters. There is an unshakable, un, it's a complete, it doesn't worry him. He has an absolute hope. He has a hope for the future. He, he, he has a hope. He knows what's ahead of him. And he's not even worried. 
What does it look like for us to go, you know what, there's circumstances, I'm going to deal with them, I'm going to respond well, I'm going to be more like Jesus, less like myself, I'm not going to worry on the problems, I'm going to worry about, I'm just going to focus on my big God. What does that do for ourselves? It changes our thinking. There's hope. So that's one of the core themes. I had this sentence I wrote, I think Paul would agree with this sentence. Now, it doesn't apply to all in every situation. But a life sold out for Jesus in every way is potentially, is perhaps more of a sacrifice than dying for the gospel. Now, dying for the gospel, or, you know, like totally people are called to that and there's martyrs and I'm not taken away from what they've done, no doubt. But to sit there and say, you know, oh, dying, dying, dying for the gospel is the greatest sacrifice well, it's a one act for sure, and then you get, get like, like uh, Paul said, I get to be with Jesus. But what about living your life every single moment for Jesus? What a sacrifice that is. What a beautiful sacrifice that is. And I would pen maybe even potentially harder. There's a 21 Pilot song that says, um, I'll take a bullet for you. I'll die for you. I'll die for you. And this, the author says something like, but I think it would be greater for me to live for you. And that's always resounding in my mind. Verse 22, we're almost there. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. If I stay here, that's cool. But if I die, uh, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. Whew. My desire, and you've got to remember, he didn't know. We knew he survived this, but he didn't know he was going to survive. So this was literal. Like he wasn't playing around. He thought he, there was every chance that this letter might be the last letter to his group of friends. So he's meaning this when he says this. If I live, I get to do stuff for Jesus. If I die, I get to see Jesus. I'm okay. And he's, he's reassuring his friends who would be heartbroken and, and worried about him. My desire is to, do, is to depart with Christ, for that might be better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Uh, for your account. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for, for the progress uh, and joy in the faith. I love that. He's like, pretty sure that God is not going to kill me. I'm not going to die. Not that God would kill him, but that God isn't calling me home because I need, I need to be here for you. What a confidence he has. He has a hope. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glorify in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit and with one mind striving to be, side, uh, to be by, side, uh, by the side for the faith of the gospel. Another famous piece of scripture. Verse 28, and not be frightened or fearful of anything by your opponents. This is a clear sight of them of their destruction, but of your salvation and from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had now and hear that I still have. I'd like to leave you sort of with this statement. Living for Jesus is more than just belief. It's a life lived out for him. And sometimes it's in the dirt. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's in a prison. But the fruit of it, 
far surpasses the toil of the harvest. The fruit of what you put your shoulder to is far better than the the weight of what you put your shoulder to. Three core themes. We're going to wrap this up. You can write them down the bottom somewhere. First one, big problem, big God. Paul illustrates that perfectly in this. He's not worried. Second one, there is a hope. Third one, what is your motivation? Can I have the worship team up, please? What is your motivation? And I just felt on my spirit to kind of camp around that just for some ministry time, just quickly. Our third column, what is our third column? Authentic. So authenticity and motivation, they go well together. And I talked about your motivation, but some of you have got issues with your clients. Some of you have issues with your workmates. Some of you have issues with your spouses. And I want you to listen closely for a second. You own at least 50% of that problem usually. Now, they may have done everything wrong, but how have you responded? Have you done everything you could have and responded well? Why don't you stand to your feet with me? And uh, let's, just, let's just pray. God, we pray that you reveal to us if there's anything in us that's an incorrect motivation. Lord, that we might be you know, vain or conceit or self-ambition or just brokenness even, Lord. We give it to you. And God, we ask you to reveal of our hearts. And I just want to walk you through that again. One of the ways in which we can deal with that is acknowledge the motivation, repent, and then respond in the opposite spirit. It's a shame we don't have that up there for you to look at. I really felt this morning as I was praying about this, that a piece of homework for you for this week is how can you respond in an opposite spirit? How can you bless where you are cursed? How can you be generous where there is ungenerosity? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would guide us, speak to us. If you have something on your heart and you'd like some prayer, if you'd like people to walk with you in this, we would love to pray for you. But really, this is between you and God. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be speaking to your people, to your children. God, be bringing that stuff to the surface in us. What is our motivation? If there's conflict, what have we done? Father, I thank you for your work in us, and I thank you for this chapter one. And yet, it's mostly an intro, but Lord, we know that there's gold in it. And Lord, we just thank you for chapters two, three, and four, which are coming over the next couple of weeks. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I just, thing popped into my head to say, One of the biggest reasons for conflict in relationships is unmet and unrealistic expectations. So maybe that's for you. Maybe you need to think about what your expectations are and ask yourself again, have I got unrealistic or unsaid expectations in a relationship? And that person's not meeting those expectations because guess what? They don't know that there were expectations. 
maybe that's something for you to take home today. So the three are hope, motivation, and big problems, bigger God. Amen. If you'd like some prayer, why don't you come up the